Hello and welcome to Hide and Speak with me, Matt Saxon. So if you're new here, we're actually a few episodes deep, so feel free to check those out. But we're on episode four now, and for today we've got one of my favourite musicians in the northeast, lead singer and songwriter with the band Hector Gannett, Aaron Duff. We had a nice walk to Low Hawksley Nature Reserve in Northumberland, and we sat in a bird hide which overlooked sand dunes and the North Sea as well as some really nice bird feed, as you'll hear us describe it in the podcast. But yeah, it was a really nice change of scenery for me. Yeah, we talk a lot about Aaron's kind of start in music, but also a lot of his songs are taking inspiration from the Northumberland coast and countryside. And his knowledge of Northumberland history is really interesting to me. So it was lush for me to talk about stories of places that I grew up and hearing about from like my parents and my grandparents as well. And yeah, with a name like Hector Gannett, I knew we'd bring something really nice to the podcast. So without any further waffle, here it is, episode four, Hector Gannett. Welcome to the podcast. Got Aaron from Hector Gannett here. How are you doing? I'm all good, man. I'm all good. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, man. It's a lovely sunny morning in January 2022. And we've got a bunch of birds chirping in front of us. I'm just wondering if you would care to describe for the listeners where we are and what you're seeing right now and as much detail as you want. Well, we're at Hawksley Nature Reserve in Northumberland. And there's quite a bit of action already. We've had bullfinch, goldfinch, a few of them. Mm-hmm. Loads of robins come to the feeders. Loads of different types of tits. I think there's a couple of pheasant down there. Moor hens. There's a human. There's a human past. down there. She's probably got a dog with her. Yeah, she probably. hasn't. Has she oh, not? she has. Oh. Two dogs. One with a frisbee as well. Oh, there you go. They're very rare birds, then. <laughs> We're at the Northumberland coast, and we've got some really lovely... I feel like we've got about a half-and-half half situation here. We've got a little bit of, like, woodland in front of us with some very typical woodland birds, like Aaron just described. And then just behind the, the trees, we've got the dunes with the long grass, and then, obviously, beyond there, there's a beach and there's a, the, the sea, sea, the North Sea. Yeah, which is... Uh, Best of both worlds, isn't it? It is, yeah. I don't think I've recorded a podcast at the sea yet, so this is a really nice change for me. Yeah, we've got a cormorant flying right over the, the water over there. I don't know if you can see. You got good eyesight? Yeah, it is, man. I was trying to distinguish the difference between a cormorant and a shag the other day. Mm-hmm. And I think the main difference is the shag's slightly smaller. Right, what's yeah. awkward is they all kind of come in different colours. Some of them are fully black and some of them have got little white breasts. It's funny you said that because I just learned the same. I was reading day. something that said that was uh, something to do with the eye and what's terrible is I can't remember which one's which, so it doesn't help at all. Right. But one of them's got sort of feathers around the eye and one of, it, one of them hasn't. I think the shag's more kind of feathery on the face. Mm-hmm. Could be totally wrong. But the shark's definitely the smaller of the two. I found that out the other day as well. 
We've got a nice little spider. I don't know if you can see it. Ah, oh, he's just ran back in. I've got a lovely spider web right in front of me on the uh, the hatch of the of the bird hide, and it keeps on coming out. And he's just nabbed a little fly that was stuck on his uh, on his web. Get hard if he's not careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got it all here this morning. Got some blue tits on a feeder just uh, right in front of me. Great tit over there on the tree. But less about the birds, more about my guest. Oh, Geese. more about the birds. <laughs> Geese just flying by. There's about 15 geese. I'm not good with geese, like I wouldn't be able to distinguish oh, one goose from another. There's a chaffinch just landed on the on the tree over there. You see where that cage uh, yeah, is? Yeah, just above the cage. White and brown and green. Yeah, yeah, there is, yeah. Is that a female and then It is, yeah. Oh, no, hang on. Oh, yeah, it is. But yeah, what was I saying? Let's talk about you. The birds uh, interject whenever you want, if you ever see a nice okay. bird that you want to talk about. But yeah, you are the lead singer, and am I right in saying you're the main songwriter for the band? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Uh, it kind of started off as a, a solo project, really. But uh, the name comes from a it was a a boat that my granddad was on in the sixties. Didn't uh, want to talk about this because I heard this as well. It's one of those things. It's kind of uh, my granddad was a, a fisherman. So was like all of his brothers and his dad and his granddad and his dad. So it was kind of that was a. A family tradition up until probably my dad's generation. My childhood was always rife with like old stories of kind of blokes going to sea and that sort of thing, yeah. you know. It was kind of a, a way of sort of paying tribute to that in some way by calling the band mm-hmm. like, or the solo project as it were. I just thought it was a cool name anyway. It's a really cool name. With the kind of, uh, there's a kind of nature aspect to the the band that people seem to kind of pick up on. Hmm. And I think the name kind of helps that in some ways, you know. This boat that your granddad had, what kind of boat was it, do you know? A trawler, but it was converted into like a sort of standby vessel for uh, North Sea gas and oil rigs. So it was in the 60s right. when that sort of thing was kicking off. It was quite a big boat then, was it? No, well, not for the day, I wouldn't have thought. Now you would probably think it was quite a big fishing boat. Mm-hmm. But uh, all the crew were from North Shields, they were all fishermen. But this particular job was to kind of uh, support and supply rigs in the North Sea. It was a kind of, well, it was a tragic incident that occurred in the late 60s. And there was a blowout on this gas rig called the Hewitt A. And it was down off Lowestoft. And the Hector Gannett went out to rescue the people on the, on the rig. But it was the bad weather pushed the boat against the rig and it capsized. So right. the boat ended up sinking, and I think there was well, there was there was two people killed and one and one guy lost. So it's quite a tragic story, really. My granddad survived, but this is so he was on the boat at the time. He as was well. on the boat at the time. I, well, right. the, the story goes that I thought he was having to go down with the ship. Isn't that what the captains do? Well, he wasn't the captain. Oh right, no, okay. he was just like uh, uh, well, the story goes that um, I'm glad he didn't go down with the ship. Don't get me wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He apparently walked off prior to this. He'd uh, he jumped in to save the the cook who'd fell overboard when they'd been uh, I think they'd been ashore and probably had too much to drink and he, he fell I think he fell between the boat and the the quayside. So apparently my granddad jumped in to, to rescue him, but he couldn't swim. Your so granddad could. Yeah, he couldn't. He never swim. Anyway, the, the, he managed to get him out and they hauled both of them out, but they wouldn't let him go home for a change of clothes or anything like that. So he just walked off and went to try and find another job. But they came looking for him a few months later, apparently, and asked him 
they were short of crew and said, will you come back? But you can't have your job back in the engine room, you have to work on deck. And when the incident occurred that was spoke about before, the guy who took his job was lost, apparently. So if he'd never walked off the boat, he would have been killed. Oh, wow. Just as well that he... Just as well he was, like, dead stubborn, you know? Like, uh, yeah. awkward. <laughs> yeah, everything happens for a reason. Possibly, uh, yeah. But yeah, anyway, that's where the name comes from. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good story, that, yeah. quite like that. And um, so the boat will have been named after... The North Atlantic Seabird. Yeah, uh, well, the, apparently the, the Hector company began as like a whaling company and then moved into other types of fishing. There was the two boats, the Hector Gannet and the Hector Gull, so they were obviously both named after seabirds. Nice. I think the Gannet's probably one of my favourite birds. I was going to say, I thought before we started recording, I thought I saw <coughs> a couple of Gannets right out, but I had to use my bins to... You might see some at this time of year, but... They'll be way less common than they are in the summer. Yeah. In the summer, that's their kind of season to be on in this area. Where would the head do in the winter then? Just I'm unsure, to be honest. I don't know if they go too far. I know that the... So, if I get this wrong, I apologise, but the scientific name for a northern gannet is... Just a quick uh, post-edit here. I got a little bit of information wrong in this part of the conversation with Aaron. I was about to tell him um, some facts about the Northern Gannet, and I got the scientific name wrong. Um, I said that the scientific name for a Northern Gannet is Morris Botanus, <laughs> but it's not. It's Morris Bassanus. Morris Bassanus? I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce it. But yeah, um, I'm editing out all of the... Because I say quite a lot... So I've edited this over the top of it. Basically, what I'm about to say is the Northern Gannet's scientific name is Morris Bassanus, Bassanus, whatever. Um, Morris is the Old English word for um, foolish, which apparently is where the Northern Gannet's uh, lack of fear apparently comes into play. The second part of the scientific name, Bassanus, Bassanus, is um, because... They have like a huge colony of about 50,000 gannets in a place in Scotland on the Firth of Forth, which is a place, uh, it's like a tiny island called Bass Rock or Base Rock. I'm not exactly, I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce it. But yeah, that's, um, that's where the second part of the, the, the word comes from. Um, and I think that's it. Uh, yeah, it was a little embarrassing mistake. But the power of editing has uh, has come to my rescue. Anyway, back to the podcast. I've seen them. We went to mainly went to um, Benton Cliffs a couple of years ago in in the spring summertime, mm-hmm. and that was amazing because there was just like thousands of these enormous birds. You know, yeah, they're very um, easy to spot when you when you look out to sea. Well, in summer in particular, you get. All sorts of gulls, obviously, in, in the sea, kind of fishing and sitting on the water. All different types of terns. don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah, yeah. Small seabirds. The gannets are, they usually fish a little bit further out from the shore. Yeah. Oh, I've got hiccups. That's not good for bird watching, like No, it's not. <laughs> Startle all the birds. <laughs> I'm a loud hiccuper as well. <laughs> yeah, so the, the gannets, they fish like further out to sea. Not too far that you can't see them with the naked eye, but it would be better with like a pair of binoculars. Yeah. But it's really easy to spot them because 
obviously seabirds are white, but the gannets, it's like a brilliant white color. It's like really, really yeah. white. And they're larger birds. I think they've got a wingspan of like two meters. Are you familiar with their like fishing behavior and how they... Yeah, well, I've been out, when I've been out fishing on a boat before, I've been really close and diving, but it's, uh, you never kind of get, uh, used to the force that they hit the water when you see them, you know, the impact that they hit the water from the kilometers an hour, yeah. apparently. I can't remember. I'm sure I read they had like a, like a reinforced skull. I suppose you would have to, wouldn't you, if you were Yeah, the <laughs> I, I don't, well, they do have like, I have seen the skull of a gannet before. I think they've, like at the base of the bill, they've got like, it's like quite a lot of like soft tissue kind of to help with the impact. Almost like Neanderthal brow to them as well. But they've got like the most like, fearsome look in their eyes as well they've got these yeah. really like daunting kind of look if you ever see a picture of a gannet like looking straight at the camera it's really quite scary looking but they're so cool i was really lucky to spend a bit of time in new zealand got on a boat in like this big park in the north of the south island got on this boat it was a boat taxi actually I had boat taxis in this, this park it was quite mad yeah this boat just kind of like pulled up to the beach and just like got people on and then took them about like five miles down the way. The captain of the boat was this mad New Zealand guy. And I won't do the accent, but he was like, I've just seen a pot of dolphins on the way up here and loads of gannets. So I'm going to take it out there. I want to go and see them and yeah. you're coming with us. <laughs> so we didn't care. We didn't have anywhere to go. So, and obviously we saw these dolphins. But what was more fascinating was the gannets fishing. It was mad. It must have been like a thousand gannets just Whoa. darting into the sea, one after the other, bow, 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 just going 100 miles an hour mm -hmm. uh, into the water. This guy actually told me a porcupine that I believed for years. Because of the impact of the gannets' skull taking a beating, they eventually go blind. I think that part <laughs> might be true, but what he said that I found out about a year ago, so for about six years I, th I thought this to be true, <laughs> was that so the older gannets who are blind have trouble fishing, so the younger ones will tell them when to fish. Again, I think that bit might be true, Literally. but the bit that's not true uh, is, I'll get there eventually, <laughs> is that the, the young euthanize the old when they're too useless. So they'll tell them to dive in like shallow water and stuff like that and on rocks. Would that be so they're kind of, they're using up kind of resources for the young? Like, Possibly, but it's not true. I, I oh, looked right, it up okay. on the internet and the internet told me it wasn't true. Apparently it's a common myth with gannets. I'm glad yeah. to hear that because it's quite uh, brutal. It's quite brutal it? I feel <laughs> yeah. quite attached to the gannets. So. Yeah, I've, I've no doubt. And uh, <laughs> There's probably something about them that are... Uh, they probably eat their young. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, another thing I learned about gannets recently was... Um, oh, I forget what the, the young gannets are called. Do you know what they Uga. are? That's the one, yeah. So there's an area in the... Um, I think it's the Hebrides. Oh, I know what you're going to say. And they cull... It's it's legal to cull them, yeah, like once a year or something. There's a, in fact, when we went to Benton, there was signs all the way along the trail showing best part of a hundred year ago scaling down the cliffs to catch. Well, I think maybe it was just to collect the eggs, but uh, yeah, the, it's, it is in the. I'm sure it's like, is it not? Uh, well, I made reference to it in one of our songs in the Silent Spring, mm -hmm. and I think it's Ness, maybe the, the island of Ness, or there's probably a few of the islands. Yeah, there's like horrific pictures of uh, baby gannets, all huge pile like yeah. of court, isn't it? They fillet them and make kippers out of them. Yeah, it's like a delicacy. 
It is brutal, and I think it's uh, it's still is it still it's still legal, isn't it? Apparently, it's legal because it's down to yeah. kind of like it's a it's a it's kind of part of the heritage of mm-hmm. the area, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's an endless question, I suppose. It just seems so horrific, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. They catch them on like they do this thing called sky fishing. They catch them on like long poles, really, really long poles with nets on. Uh-huh. The other end, and they just like kind of scoop them out of the air. I think that's one of the methods that they use. Yeah, I discussed sky fishing with uh, Bondi on one of the other episodes, and uh, I think it's a long-standing tradition with a lot of like Scandinavian countries as well. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen the people do they catch puffins like that, and that sort of thing. Like, I'm sure I've seen it. Yeah, maybe yeah, that, yeah, maybe he's always watching something like they were catching them. The kind of conservation efforts you know like stock of numbers but i've definitely yeah. i've got an image of me head of a, someone swinging a net around trying to catch puffins yeah that's what was a dream i had <laughs> no that's it's definitely it's yeah. definitely a thing i don't know if i would uh ever take part but yeah but yeah you mentioned there was like a lyric in some of your songs like when i listen to your songs i hear a lot of love for northumberland in particular and, yeah uh, the areas where you've like grown up and yeah, I've never kind of shied away from that. I think mm-hmm. um, it's important. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, this sort of thing, sitting in here now, is kind of like, it's the essence of uh, of everything that we're kind of about, you know, like, mm-hmm. in the area in particular. It's, I mean, it is because I've just grown up in the area and I've always kind of, uh, it's been the, the escape from everything else was to kind of disappear into the wilderness almost, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I've never kind of shied away from that with songwriting. People lat- seem to latch onto that. I think the kind of, I was sort of, um, the worry would be that you're kind of uh, excluding people, you know, but I think if you know about Northumberland, then you latch onto that. I think you can kind of relate it anyway, you know. It doesn't even have to be related to kind of nature or anything like that, you know. You can take something else from it. And yeah. I found that as well, you know. It's an interesting thing hearing people describe music and lyrics that you've written because some people have just got a totally different view of things to other people you know some people pick up on things that i've never even picked up on you know which is lush and that's kind of once you kind of put a song out to the world it's like it's almost no longer yours is yeah, it yeah completely it becomes, yeah. it becomes the listeners you know there's the space between hearing the song and interpreting it and that space between them two is, is different for everybody isn't it i think sometimes when you have Terrible for kind of forgetting what I was talking about with songs, you know what I mean? <laughs> There's always meaning there. Perhaps just as you kind of, as it grows as a thing, yeah, it starts to mean something else even to the writer, you know? So and yeah, that's yeah. that's another kind of way of looking at it, you know? It's all sort of, uh, it's art at the end of the day. It's how you perceive it, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think with your songs, it's really nice to hear, for me personally. It's just lush to hear someone talking about Northumberland and these kind of areas just so like fondly and just feel like there's you've got a lot of love for it you've got to kind of write about what you know haven't you couldn't sort of live with myself kind of if i was singing these songs that didn't kind of mean anything to us so but yeah like i listened to you mentioned loads of like areas that i grew up going to on like holiday when i was a kid like with my grandma and granddad yeah. going up to like bambro or like sea houses and the holy island yeah well i did exactly the same thing you know that's mm-hmm. like you're a Holy Island appreciator. I am. I'm, I'm a pilgrim. I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you go there often? You know what it is? That was one of the things about the first lockdown. Was Like I said before, it was the escape from everything. You know, like I was going to say people. It's not people. It's just kind of... I get like really bad 
anxiety around crowds and that sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. which isn't ideal when you're actively encouraging people to come and yeah. listen to you sing. But uh, <laughs> I can relate to that. Uh, that's yeah. that, the whole escape for me is, is disappearing to those sorts of places, you know. Yeah, man. So it was just, it was really difficult. Lucky, well, lucky that we kind of live in the area that we do, that this mm-hmm. sort of thing's pretty much on my doorstep, you know. The song I mentioned before, The Silent Spring, that was that was influenced by kind of a noticeable change in nature around where we live because there was less human interaction. You just have to come somewhere like this and notice it, you know what I mean? There's yeah, no one yeah. around and there's like hundreds of birds just in front of here. The first lockdown was kind of, would have that one hour's exercise where we were allowed out and would go <laughs> where there was, try and time it right when there was nobody around. And Well, where I live, there's nobody around anyway. So I was, uh, I mean, I could probably say this on record because now Boris Johnson's getting berated for what he's been up to. <laughs> I'm sure no one's going to care, but I didn't do the one hour exercise. I, I was going out like two or three times a day just because I knew that I wasn't seeing anybody. Yeah. That's what I did was just go for walks around this area. I had this newfound appreciation for where I lived. I always had this feeling that I wanted to kind of get away from here, like move away from home in a way. Like a few years ago, I understood that like this place is absolutely amazing. You've got everything you want, obviously not only just friends and family. We've got the sea up here, we've got beaches, we've got crazy like countryside. Yeah, I think that's... And we've got crazy city life as well. And I remember when I was a kid, my nana had friends over from Ireland. I've got no idea who they are now. She took me and these two old women up to see houses, and I distinctly remember her saying, you know, I've got everything on my doorstep, yeah? Mm-hmm. You can be in the countryside in 20 minutes, so you can be in the coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, we're talking about Holy Island. There's a place on Holy Island called Emmanuel Head, mm-hmm. which is on, like, the, the east side of the island. It's the most notable thing is this white pyramid that's sticking out the sand dunes. So you can see yeah. it from around the island. But I'd never walked there before until a few years ago. And it's just, I don't know what it is, but if you stand right on the edge there, you kind of got this panoramic of like, it feels like you can see the, the whole world, you know. Mm. You've got the North Sea behind you. And then the Farn Islands to your left. And if you look straight ahead, there's the Cheviot Hills. And then north mm. across the border up to St. Abbs and Eyemouth and... Yeah, yeah. You can kind of see every aspect of uh, the country, you know, in one view. It's amazing. I feel like this should be an advert for uh, Visit Northumberland. Well, I'll write the theme well, tune if they ever come knocking. <laughs> yeah, I think you've probably already written it, mate. Uh, probably just choose yeah. one of the back catalogue songs. No, it's, uh, it is beautiful up here. Yeah, I'm really glad that I didn't move away. I was going to move to America. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah I was going to move to New York. And it fell through at the very last second. Thankfully enough. While we're talking here, there's a, there's a boat in the distance. I just want to get my binoculars on it and see what's going on. There were some birds kicking around it before, wasn't there? If there's a boat and there's birds, you'll get dolphins. Do you know what it is? We saw dolphins yesterday. Yeah? The colour coats. And then we followed them down to Timeoth. And we're just sitting. Could see them over the pier, you know. It was one of those things about this sort of thing. When I was talking about the likes of anxiety and that, those sort of feelings, I think a lot of people, me included, get a total release. Like, it's so difficult to explain. I mean, there's a lot going on at the minute. And yesterday it was a kind of, it was a proper stressy day. But all of that was just like completely lifted when just sitting watching these dolphins, you know, it's mm. like, a, yeah, so it's difficult something. to explain, you know. 
I know what you mean, and I can like a hundred percent relate. I mention it. I'm quite open about it as to why I started bird watching in the first place. I started bird watching in about 2016. I started getting like mad anxiety and like panic attacks and stuff like that, just out of nowhere. The listeners are probably going to be bored of me talking about this, but uh, I was considering like going to therapy at the time. And my friend was like, instead of going to therapy straight away, he was like, why don't you come bird watching with me? It's a really relaxing thing to do. It's free. All you need is a pair of binoculars, and I've got some. So he gave me a pair of binoculars, and we went up to um, Hollywell Dean. Loads of geese flying over. Canada, <laughs> Canada geese, those are. Um, oh, some more coming in. Excellent. Wow. It's busy. Busy flight path. <laughs> yeah, so we went bird watching and couldn't believe, like, how nice it was to just, like, sit and be in nature so obviously it's nice to be out in the countryside or, or wherever. But, you know, the elements can sometimes get to you. Yeah. Like it might be cold, it might be raining, it might be windy. But if you're sitting in a bird hide, it's like a den. When you're a kid, everybody used to love making yeah. dens, didn't they? Uh, I totally get that. And like. some, it's almost like an adult version of a den. But yeah, slowly but surely, the anxiety went down. The panic attacks are like non-existent now. I mean, I still get anxious time to time, but I know how to manage it now. And it was a really strong believer that it was to do massively with bird watching. Yeah. And that's one thing that I really like to promote with the podcast is the benefits and the, the health and mental well-being benefits that getting out walking and stuff. I'm all about that. Like. Yeah, it's just... Uh, I think it's a... Uh it's an easy thing to do to kind of think, well, I've got all this, all this stuff to do. I'm really guilty of that, you know, like not giving enough time to just do this sort of thing, you know, because you think, well, this needs sorted out. I can't waste time. What's the point if you can't do this sort of thing anyway? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? For sure. And I think during lockdown, I think a lot of people got in touch with that side of themselves. One of yeah. the benefits of it. Definitely. No, definitely. time off work to do so. Just lush, isn't it? I mean, you can it probably is. hear in the in the microphones, birds in the background. I've actually got a really nice, calm day. It's a lush little day. It is. It's a really nice day. So I want to kind of like have a deep dive on on you as a as a musician and get to know like what how you got your start in music and mm-hmm. kind of like go right to the very beginning. Like, how old were you when you picked up your first instrument and what inspired you to do so? And there was always a for some reason, there was a, it's that classic thing, like everyone says it, there was a guitar in the house and never knew how to play it. It was only when, well, it was my uncle who kind of showed us a few chords and got us really into it. And I was just kind of off and running from there. I was more or less self-taught. It's kind of a, uh, it's a pro and a con, I think, because it leads to some bad habits, but it, I think it can lead you down some really interesting routes. Probably far easier ways to play the guitar. Than the way I play it, you know, that's the thing. What so, do you mean? Have you got like an interest in tuning and, or like, do you play your chords in a I me- way? I do mess around with tunings. I do mess around with tunings. Like you say, those sort of bad habits where I'm kind of, my thumb is always like more or less covering the entire fretboard half the time, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, uh, See, that can be beneficial in some circumstances though. Yeah. I've never learned to finger pick properly either. I've always, I've really loved to be able to do that properly, but I've got such a weird kind of, I've got like a thumb and first thing finger going on. That's as far as I can get. I think, uh, so you've got a weak little finger, have you? It's just, I've got a really strong thumb <laughs> and a really strong first finger and that's about it. That's all you need, man. <laughs> Django Reinhardt only had a couple of fingers, didn't he? Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I've picked up other instruments and stuff in the past, but it's so, hard to put my finger on what would, what kind of inspired 
me to do it in the first place. I think I was always into drawing and creating stuff like that. Yeah. When I was a kid. I don't know. It's a difficult question to kind of so put your finger on. So you've got this guitar sitting around in the house. Your uncle's showing you a few chords and whatnot. Like kind of where did it go from there? Did you, did you get an, a guitar for Christmas with an amplifier and all that kind of stuff? Or? I, I did, yeah. I remember my uh, grandparents got us a, like a nylon string. Because I think the one that was in the house had like three strings on, you know. <laughs> so the one I got was just like this amazing maybe that's guitar why at the time. Cause maybe like, that's why you only used your <laughs> thumb and forefinger. <laughs> maybe, yeah. yeah. I think I kind of started, I started not so much writing songs, but I was making stuff up rather than... Uh, Learning songs. Yeah, I was yeah. more interested in kind of coming up with something of my own. That's interesting. I know a few people like that who, as soon as they learned how to play like the basic kind of elements of an instrument, just started writing songs straight away. Yeah. I wish I had done that because I think I would have gotten the hours in on songwriting early on and just practiced that kind of... I think the minute you kind of, you feel like you've mastered it, you, you're finished, don't you? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think it's a, I'm sure it's a Bowie quote. It's like as soon as you're kind of out of your depth, that's when you're probably going to do something interesting, you know? It is a Bowie geese. quote, isn't it? Yeah. Gonna have to read that quote again because it is quite a good one. Who are your like current inspirations for songwriting and and performance and just like who do you who do you listen to at the moment? And... I don't know. I listen to all sorts. You know, I really do. I've always got the radio on. I'm probably listening to the radio more than I'm kind of putting an album on, for instance. You know, there's a connection with uh, with Alan Hull, which has kind of been reasonably well documented with my music. You know, and people kind of see that similarity and comparison in, in the style of writing and the subject matter to some degree but I think a lot of that comes from being inspired by similar things you know like we're mm-hmm. in the same area and probably yeah, seeing yeah. a lot of the same things I mean the, the documentary that was on BBC4 I thought was amazing you know it was a brilliant to see his, his music put out there on, on that scale you know and, and yeah, uh, yeah. the reception that it got like I think Alan Hull was trending on Twitter was <laughs> apparently that's enormous for that music. It feels I think I'm almost speak for the entire northeast in saying that it's kind of part of part of the region now, you know? It's like Yeah, yeah. I always felt slightly guilty for not really delving too much into the uh, like the back catalogue of Lindisfarne. I had so many people like I know my mum and dad. I always knew they were there and I, I remember thinking I, I need to pay more attention to them. They are like my like northeastern heritage. I was too busy like, you know, loving the Beatles and Radiohead and all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't I didn't look to where I'm from, you know. Yeah. I think that documentary really kind of helped me understand Alan Hull a lot better. I think for me I just kind of knew the the obvious tunes, you know. But yeah, then, well, I think you you start off there unless you kind of because it's not out there per se, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I'd found, can't find anywhere apart from like YouTube videos of certain recordings of Alan Hull's solo stuff, you know, it's not like, a lot of it's probably not regularly available, you know, but once you stumble across it, you think, I can't believe that's the kind of calibre of songwriter, that, and it's like relatively, well, massively unknown really, you know. Yeah. I think Elvis, I remember watching a thing on YouTube a few years ago and Elvis Costello did a version of Winter Song and said this was written by one of the most underrated or underappreciated songwriters. English songwriters ever known, you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's so right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, whenever I hear people say that, I almost feel guilty because I'm like, yeah, I'm probably one of the one of the reasons contributing to that. Um, no, no. So I think it's just there's that there's that much to kind of to get over in that respect. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those. Anyway, it's it's like I was really pleased to see it sort of put in front of 
of a, a different audience, you know. And uh, I can't believe how many bullfinch are here. By the way, I'm like yeah, blown away by. Yeah, they're by getting a little there. bit. Uh, they're getting a bit more confident now, aren't they? Bullfinch are, by the way, they're like a, about the same size as a sparrow, like a brilliant red breast with a black cap, grey wings, delightful to look at. Right, I've got a bird fact here, but I might get it wrong. So there's a sparrow just here, and I think it's... This here? Yeah, no, the one, see, there's two of them sitting oh, yeah, on the yeah, tree behind. Yeah. That spot on the cheek means it's a, a tree sparrow, or a hedge sparrow, one or the other. Oh, fantastic. I didn't one know of them that was how you... Uh, I often just kind of tell them apart from house sparrows because they're more like a light brown. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it's, a that. tr- it's a tree sparrow because a hedge. It is definitely Dunnick a tree. Is a hedge sparrow, sparrow thing, isn't it? I'm going to get totally. Uh, is that what Dunnocks are also known as? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it makes sense because Dunnocks are like brown feeders and they do kind of hop out of the hedges and uh, and just kind of more rather go to the ground of like a underneath a feeder and, and yeah. take off the. The seeds from the from the ground, as opposed to sitting on the feeder. I think we might even have some over there. But yeah, I've certainly been enjoying a bit more Linda's Farm in my life. I mean, probably for like the last year or so, actually. I know I've heard your version of Winter Songs really nice. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was uh, one of those songs. You know, I think it's almost kind of heartbreaking how relevant it still is. Do you know what I mean? The subject matter still counts, mm-hmm. which is uh, in some ways it's it's even more poignant now than it was. When it was written, you know, mm-hmm. winter song is just one of them. I mean, there's so much uh, solo material there to kind of get your teeth into it. Got some lush little. I can't work out if that's like a juvenile chaffinch or a female chaffinch. Not him. She's flown away now. I think it's a female chaffinch. We've got a bird feeder that's literally right in front of her, maybe about a meter and a half away. Some lovely little birds sitting on them. Yeah. There was a lot of kestrel action on the wheel. I like a kestrel. Yeah, man. Strong, sturdy. There's a boy with a flag, a mother ah, yeah, with yeah. a flag. I see it. More or less. Yeah, I do see that. Yeah, it is. That's a male and female either duck. I've got another bird fact now. Let's go. Do you know why either ducks get called cuddy ducks? I didn't know they get called cuddy ducks. Yeah, so it's, I don't it's know. The, the regional name for the either duck. The cuddy duck. Hmm. St. Cuthbert helped conserve them, looked after them like a thousand years ago. Wow. How true it is, nobody kind of really knows. But apparently it comes from St. Cuthbert, right? No, I didn't know that. Bird facts are more than welcome on the podcast. St. Cuthbert, good to know. Holy Island. Exactly. I think yeah, there's a yes. statue on Holy Island of St. Cuthbert and the Cuddy Duck incorporated in the statue. Is it? Uh, ah. I well, think so. Go. So yeah, we've got your love of Alan Hull, Linda's Farm. I don't know, let's come to present day where you've got Hector Gannick. In 2020, you released your debut album. Yeah, aye. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Big Harker. Big Harker. Well, I would pronounce it Big Harker. I don't know if it was Harker. Well, a lot of people tend to pronounce it Harker, yeah, but it's uh, Big Harker. It's, like a, it's an island, a rocky island in the Farns, mm-hmm. and it was where the forefisher was wrecked, which was the boat that Grace Dolan and their father rode out and rescued the survivors from. That's where the name comes from. Well, it's called Harker Rock. And uh, shamefully, <laughs> people say, what type of music do you play? We can say, I would play hog or rock. Often people pretend to know what that means, but... Uh, if you know the, the truth behind that, that's a very uh, witty joke. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it just goes over people's heads, doesn't it, completely? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Grace, darling. 
I do a lot of work up in Barnborough and um, well, I don't do a lot of work up, but sometimes I do go up there for work, work in the Grey Stalin Museum. I'm just an engineer, so it was quite nice to like see what's going on there. That museum, I was blown away when I visited. It actually has the Cobalt Rowan boat that she used, the boat. It just seems absolutely... Then they've got like a display like some of Grey Stalin's clothes and there's this tiny little dress. It was just such a tiny little woman rowing this boat on her own. It's amazing. Yeah. So Grey Stalin famously rowed a boat out, rescued some people from a sinking ship. I don't know too much about her. Sounds like you know more than I do. Well, she was a lighthouse keeper's daughter. Longstone Lighthouse on the Farne Islands in a bad storm that the Fourfisher uh, wrecked on Big Harker. And the road out, I'm fairly sure she single-handedly rode out. You look at the boat and think, I could never row that, you know. The distance that she had to row it with people in as well. Amazing. But uh, she died really young. She was only in her, in her 20s, I think she died. When she rescued the people on the boat, I think she was really young. Maybe in her teens, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think she was like 18 years old or something when she did yeah. it. Yeah. And apparently she could be wrong, but I'm sure she uh, she died in the bed that she was born in. Amazing historical woman. fact, but she was a real Victorian heroine, you know, probably quite famous for her time. And I think some of the things relate to it in the Grace Dollar Museum in Bamra, which is lush. If you ever get a chance to go, if mm-hmm. you haven't been, they make reference to the amount of people who would travel. It was actually boat trips from the Tyne up to Longstone Lighthouse to try for people to try and get a glimpse of. Grace Dolan. So what? she was like a kind of, she was just like a celebrity, you know, like. Ah, oh, right. Okay. So, oh, when she was alive. When she was alive. Right. <laughs> yeah, when I thought she you was meant alive, some kind right. of like siren on the rocks of a uh, big Parker. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were trying to get a glimpse of her because I think she lived, rel- well, it's not a normal life, is it? For her, a relatively normal life afterwards. But yeah, people were making money ferrying people up to the Farne Islands to try and get a glimpse of her, you know. She might not have even been there, you know, it might have just been a total money-making exercise, but it sounds like she was that much of a celebrity, you know. Fascinating. Grave Starling. You're just going to tell us all my facts are wrong now, aren't you? I just want to find out uh, <laughs> when roughly it was. She was born in 1815, November 24th, 1815 in Bambra, and died on the 20th of October, 1842. Oh, no, she was 26. 26. My maths is terrible. I looked at those numbers, the years she was born and died. It sounds like such a long time, doesn't it? But it does, it's yeah. Not. Buried across the road from the Grace Darling Museum. Yeah. There's a church in there, a graveyard. It's St. Cool. Aidan's Church, I think that's cool. That's right. I've got a family relative who's buried there. Really? So, yeah, on my granddad's father is buried there. Well. On my mum's side. I went up fairly recently trying to look for his grave, but I couldn't find it. It's a nice little church, actually. It is. If you go in the crypt underneath. Yeah, the crypt's really cool. Have you been in there? They've yeah, got the yeah. founding Anglo-Saxon burial graveyard, I think, didn't they? Like, yeah. And they interred them into the into the crypt in the church. The nice little projection presentation. Yeah. We've got, since that guy's fed all of the birds, all of the birds have, like, come and just, they're having an absolute feast down there. Yeah, so what are you working on right now? You've finished touring your... Big Harker. Well, we never really got a chance to tour it properly. We went out in um, with COVID and everything was released through mm-hmm. in the middle of the pandemic. We said the middle, we're still going through the pandemic. <laughs> so we never we got a chance to went out and played a nine day UK tour. Did you do that quite recently? Yeah, it was just in uh, October. So we're planning to go out again in March, which I'm really looking forward to. But I mean, we've got loads of new 
new material as well, so we're trying to plan a, a release fairly soon. And we're just busy, busy recording, really. I'm constantly writing as much as I can. So yeah, there's a load of new stuff. We did a little thing uh, in between Christmas and New Year at the Engine Room in North Shields, where we just did like, we stripped back the old stuff and just played really sort of minimalist versions of them mm. and then showcased a load of new stuff. Oh, nice. Which, you know, yeah, it was a really nice review in there. And louder than war, Gus Ironside wrote, which is really, uh, really complimentary. Kind of makes it all kind of, all those uh, nerves about, about new stuff, you know, it's kind of really nice to see them seemingly being received quite well. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to the new stuff, getting out there and getting it in front of, uh, in front of everybody, you know. Yeah, man. I'm excited to hear it. You did a thing in summer last year for the Kitty Wakes. Ah, right, yeah, we did. I actually bought a ticket, but I couldn't go. Oh, really? So I was going to come, I was going to come to the talk as well. It was fascinating, the talk, I really enjoyed it. So we teamed up with uh, with Wild Intrigue, I don't know if you're familiar with Kane and Heather at Wild Intrigue, they're like a mini-exped kind of organisation that take parties of people out, to, well, do this sort of thing, really, you know? Mm-hmm. Really important work, I think, you know? They're really passionate about the Time Kitty Wakes cause, so if anyone's not familiar, the, the Tyne Kitty Wakes, which you see certain times of the year, if you're near the Baltic and the Tyne Bridge, that's the furthest inland colony of Kitty Wakes in the world. And they nest in various places up the Tyne and the, next to the uh, the Ferry Muse in North Shields. The owners of the buildings, a lot of them are putting nets up to stop the nest in there, you know. Quite frankly, the birds were there before the businesses that now yeah. use the buildings were. Yeah, it's um, age old. Dispute isn't there, and, uh, humans and birds. For that's that. it. I mean, it's like anything. It's like anything of that nature. Once it's gone, it's it's gone. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of, I just blows my mind that people can't see the importance of conserving that kind of thing, that that sort of colony. You know, like the gig was in aid of raising awareness, I suppose, of that situation. Am I right in saying there was like a trip down the Tyne? Again, and and Heather, yeah, well, intrigue that they took people along along the Tyne. Just along the breakwater, really, in the North Shields, and along the quay to see the Kitty Wakes. And then back to the engine room, and they did a, a really interesting talk, you know. And it was fascinating. We've worked with them again on uh, the last release that we've put out, which is a like a four-track EP called Into the Deep. And that's uh, one to kind of highlight the impacts of humans on nature, really, mm-hmm. our impact on the natural world. And Wild Intrigue do a really good job in educating people and... and uh, Spreading that kind of information, you know. I think education's really the, the key to it, you know. Once people learn to understand the importance of it, it becomes one of the most important things I can think of, you know, like what's more important than that sort of thing. Yeah. It all ties in. And we'll work with the British Divers Marine Life Rescue Organisation, who are another... What, for the EP? Yeah. Uh, so if if you buy the EP or the Associated Merch, you're indirectly supporting these two organisations, you know. Wow, that's really Um, cool. I didn't know that. So the BDMLR do a lot of work in rescuing mammals off off the British coast, you know, get ourselves a difficulty. A lot of it's because of uh, human interaction, really. I think the most sort of uh, relatable instances I can think of is the likes of St Mary's Island, where there's a a seal colony, and they're constantly... Having to, to tell people not to get close to the seals, you know, they let people let their dogs off, and the seals inevitably end up rushing into the water and injuring themselves, you know. And yeah, yeah, I've heard getting themselves into it. It's been going on for a really long time. 
in the difficulty. Which is mad because I was there the other day at St. Mary's Lighthouse. I found it quite hard to understand why people would do that kind of stuff because the seals are quite far away from you, really. Yeah, it's a wonder so people are like, I mean, you can see them if you had a pair of binoculars. The you can see them really clearly in, with binoculars, but you can see them with the naked eye. They're, you know, they're not too far away, but they're far enough away for you to, like... like You've got to actively go and disturb them if you... Yeah, you, you would know, wouldn't you? You would know you were going to... You've also, like, you've got to climb over a wall and you've got to <laughs> climb onto some rocks, some very slippery... Yeah, you've like, got to really want to disturb the seals if you're Yeah, going so it's just like you get some very silly people trying to get a selfie with... Why do you want a selfie with a seal? Yeah, but just I mean, perhaps uh, like, <laughs> when I go about education, you know, like, if people know why not to do that, I'm sure they wouldn't. Yeah, you know? exactly. So... That's why, you know, those sorts of organisations that we spoke about are really important. Yeah. So please don't annoy seals. I don't annoy seals. They don't annoy us. Don't annoy any wildlife. Kitty wakes, seals, birds. Well, that was lovely. A little, little bit of silence there. Wasn't it? <laughs> I've got the headphones on. You don't have your headphones on, so I can hear the birds like, oh, right, really, okay. really well in my earphones. Yeah. There's so much, you can hear the geese are so loud behind I know, the, I think when we go back to the nature reserve, we're going to see how many geese are actually there. I think we'll be... Uh, well, there was hundreds flying over, wasn't mm-hmm. there? Yeah, yeah. I still don't understand the kind of um, migratory patterns of geese because I don't feel like they should be... Everyone says they, you know, they fly north at this time of year and south at this time of year and they just seem it's to be kind of... Still here, apparently. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. And I often see them flying the wrong ways to the way you're told that they should be flying, you know. So right. I don't get <laughs> unless me me compass is completely wrong. Like, but uh, I can hear the geese when I'm lying in bed at night, and if I've got my window open, I can hear geese flying over my house, huh? and it's a really nice. I love the sound of geese flying. It is. Uh, it's quite a. It's so distinguishable as well, isn't it? You know. I mean, they're, they're honking. The entire time, but their wings, you can hear their wings, it's really nice, quite relaxing. Just something comforting about it when I've been, uh, it's happened several times where I've just been lying in bed, I can hear them just flying over my house, yeah. it's really nice. I do actually get quite a lot of geese roosting in a in a field nearby right. my house as well, so that's probably why. You mentioned that you're like making some new music at the moment, are we expecting any of that anytime soon or? I hope so, yeah I really hope so. I mean, there was there's, uh, this EP that's that's gone out into the deep. It's got uh, what we call Lantern's Radio Edit. So it was mixed by Paul Gregory from Lantern's on the Lake and then Hazel from Lantern's. She's singing on it also. Oh, nice. So it's lush to have those those guys involved because we're really big fans, you know. Yeah. You supported them in, in their latest uh, tour, We did. Didn't we you? played at the Boiler Shop in Newcastle with them, yeah, which was lush. Mm-hmm. We got asked to, me and Martin, we got up and, and sang on the last tune. Oh, nice. Which was really nerve-wracking, you know. It was great, like. The EP, the other tunes, we've got, like, a, a version of a, a new song called Tower on the Hill, which I just did on my own, which was recorded at Karma Coast. They've been doing some... Friend of the podcast. All right. Well, yeah. they've been doing some, some sessions there, and they asked me to go along and play, so that, that was taken from there. And then The Silent Spring, which we spoke about earlier. Mm-hmm. That's there. And then we've got an eight-minute remix of Into the Deep <laughs> by Eat Lights, Become Lights, which is just lush. Like it, I, I was always kind of sceptical of hearing a remix of your own song, mm-hmm. but it totally keeps the whole essence of the song, you know, and it is amazing. Like I'm really uh, 
Nice. It was Lush Dave Neil involved as well. So, um, so who's Eat Night Become Light? Eat Lights Become Lights is Neil Neil Branquino. He's a local artist producer. Mm-hmm. He actually designed the poster for the Kitty Wakes. He's uh, insanely talented, and I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah, so he was involved in the, in the remix, and it's it is lush. Like if you've got eight minutes spare, is it out now? Is it? It's not. It's it's only coming out on the vinyl. So, well, you're probably aware there's such a backlog with vinyl orders at the minute. We're still waiting for them. But uh, if you order the vinyl, yeah, it's on there. Plus the other the other three tracks we spoke about. The radio edit, Lantern's radio edit, and the Silent Spring are up on all those streaming platforms. Places, like yeah. You can you can listen to music. Lush. You're all on there. Oh, nice one. Well, um, yeah. Thanks very much for doing this. Really Not appreciate at all. it. It's been being absolutely here, lovely. Yeah, it's been nice getting to know you, and I'm really impressed with your bird knowledge. I feel like it's it's better. I than think I've been really <laughs> lucky today, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I've certainly learned some some new things as well. I think so. I'll be uh, totally. There'll be people listening going, he's just talking rubbish. So there may maybe all my facts are wrong, you know. But I think I think about ninety percent of them <laughs> were correct. So well, I mean, it sounded, sounded convincing. Sounded it, convincing. Well, well, yeah, know. for sure. But um, yeah, man, thanks very much. I'm looking forward to hearing the new music, and yeah, I'll have to come and see you play live. At some Cheers, point. man. Thanks for having yeah. us. There is episode four with uh, Hector Gannett. Thanks to Aaron for being on the podcast. Yeah, I hope you all enjoyed it. Enjoyed what Aaron brought to the table. Nice little bit of Northumbrian history and some really good stories about his granddad, the naming of the boat. I really, really enjoyed that little tale. Yeah, if you enjoyed the podcast, please consider giving me a little like or subscribe or even share it with your friends. And if you really want to help out, you could leave me a review on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you listen to the podcast, Amazon, whatever. Episode 5 is going to come out in a couple of weeks. Check out my socials as well. I'm all on Instagram as Hide and Speak Podcast. And uh, if you're on Twitter, I'm Hide and Speak Pod. Not much more to say than that. Hope you have a nice day. And uh, yeah, see you for episode 5.